If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Romans chapter 14, Romans in the New Testament. If you would join me in turning there. Thank you, sir. Uh, That would be great. We'll get there in a moment. Romans chapter 14. Several months ago, Rose, my wife and I were at a restaurant and we were ordering our entrees. And as we were ordering our entrees, the server looked at me and she said this. After I gave her my order, she said, well, sir, that is a little bit hot. It does have jalapenos. Are you going to be okay with that? Now, you need to understand at this moment, what I wanted to say was something like this. Excuse me. I'm from Texas. Right? We wean our children on jalapenos in Texas, right? I mean, I just, this will not be a problem. But I just, I just looked back and graciously said, no, that will be fine. So the meal came, and we're enjoying this meal, and I'm enjoying this dish. And guess what? About halfway through my entree, the heat kicks in. (laughs) And it's kind of like, oh, I see what, wow, she was right. And, you know, it's it's like, oh my goodness, this really does have some heat. This, wow, this is a little bit more than I signed up for. And now understand me clearly, I, I love that dish. I may end up ordering it again the next time we're there. And it was a great meal, but I kid you not, there was maybe a 10 to 15 minute time window when every time she walked past, I had my water glass out just making sure. <laughs> I, was, I was so hydrated by that. I floated out of that restaurant. <laughs> I tell you that story because do you, do you know those moments in life where it's kind of like you you get involved in something, you get involved in a group or project, or you take something on at work or in the community. And all of a sudden the heat kicks in and it's, it turns out to be a little more difficult or complicated. Moments where you find yourself saying, wow, this is a little bit more than I signed up for. This is, isn't what I bargained for. I ask you these questions because the reality is, and we just need to acknowledge this, Um, church can be like that. Sometimes Christian community is like that. Over the last few weeks, we we spent some time really talking in different ways about what it means to be connected. And in the month of August, we were talking about what it looks like to be all in, all in and following Jesus. And as we talked about being all in and following Jesus, we, we came to grips with the reality that when you're all in and following Jesus, you've really got to be all in in being a part of his church. That's the way he's designed it. And so during the course of that series, we, we encouraged you, we invited you, challenged you to get connected and invited you and challenged you to consider becoming a part of one of our small groups, our Live, Love, Lead groups. And 90 of you have responded to that. And some of you are now in these groups that are just launching. So you're now meeting new people and starting new relationships and figuring out, is this good fit for me? Likewise, even as you're, you're maybe starting a Live, Love, Lead group, others of you are in our mid-sized groups, our connect groups. And once again, this has been an opportunity for you to build relationships, an opportunity for you to be all in, to be connected. And 
For us as a church, that just lives out and flows out of our value of doing life together. This is how we understand Christ intended his followers to operate. And even as we think about steps some of you have already taken, for some of you, there's a next step that you need to consider next week, which is membership. And if that's where you're at, I just encourage you to explore what membership involves over the next two Sundays to be a part of this membership class. So we've talked about being all in. And, and furthermore, we've, we've followed that series with this series that we're now in right now, which is entitled For One Another, where we, we started this series by really observing Jesus's vision for his followers. And wrestling with the truth that, you know, Jesus's vision was that through his work, he was going to bring us back into relationship with God. But in bringing us back into relationship with God, he brings us into relationship with one another. Jesus has this one another vision for his followers, that we would truly be for one another. And not surprisingly, then that vision is fleshed out in very concrete ways through the pages of the New Testament. And so during the course of this series, we're just paying attention to some of the one another statements that we find recorded in Scripture. We're to love one another, to be at peace with one another, to encourage one another, to forgive one another. But here's the reality, and once again, we just got to acknowledge this. When you take this seriously, I mean, you're like, George, this is what you've been telling us to do, and that's right, but I just want to give you the full disclosure. When you take this seriously, there will be moments when the heat kicks in, just like my experience at that restaurant. There will be moments when maybe you find yourself saying, wow, this is more challenging than I thought, or this, is, this isn't what I signed up for. I mean, I signed up to be a part of this new group, and now I'm part of this new group. And, you know, the first weekend or the first time I met, I ended up in the conversation with this guy in the kitchen, and he's just different. Or in the course of our conversation, we, we talked about certain cultural issues or political issues, and there's some people that just think very differently than I do. They look at life differently. I can't believe the comments they made about politics or certain social issues. And the truth is when we get connected in church and we start meeting different people, there are just moments where we realize, wow, they just, they approach life differently. They think about money differently, cultural issues differently. Or even for many of us, we, we get caught in this, this, this challenge sometimes, even in a church context of, well, they parent very differently than I do. And you mean, if you're a parent, you find yourself looking at someone else and it's like, I can't believe they, they let their children do X or I can't believe they don't let their children do X. When we take seriously Jesus's vision of community, there will be moments when the heat kicks in. Moments when you say, wow, that's, just, that's a different person. The truth is, Christian community can complicate your life. Now, why is that? I mean, why, why is that the case? Well, one level is just, a, you know what? We're imperfect people. We're broken people. I mean, when you take the good news of Jesus seriously, you also have to deal with our own sinfulness and brokenness, and we bring that into relationships. We're imperfect people. Furthermore, we're, at times we're immature people that just have a wonderful way of rubbing each other the wrong way. 
But sometimes we just have to recognize, you know what, we're different people. Different backgrounds, different seasons of life, different things that have influenced us. And so on certain issues, we just approach life differently and see things from a different perspective. And the truth is, as you get involved in church, you will see these differences emerge in conversations and relationships. You're a student who kind of maybe meets other people, older people in the church, and you're like, you know what, they don't get social media. They just don't get it. Find yourself in conversations and it's like, I can't believe, I can't believe the candidate that person is supporting. At, at times, these, these, these differences just emerge. And I think for some of us, this then develops a certain sense of failure. Right? I mean, I, I wanted to get involved. They told me to get involved in church, but now they're the, I got into this group and they're these people and I, I just really, I, I, you know, I, I don't see eye to eye with this person. And maybe for some, this becomes a place where you back off. For some, these kinds of conversations or interactions become reason to look for another church. But here's what we have to keep in mind. We have to keep in mind that one of the foundational truths of the gospel is this. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, brings different people together. I mean, one of the radical dimensions of the gospel in the ancient world was the fact that it was bringing people together who simply would never come together. In the ancient world, in so many ways, your religion was determined either by your ethnicity or by your geographical location, your geographical background. And all of a sudden, this message of Jesus begins spreading across the Roman Empire. And it's crossing borders that were not normally crossed. It's bringing people together that weren't normally brought together. And that's what the gospel does. In a very thought-provoking way, one of my former professors, Don Carson, has written this. Ideally, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not a common education, a common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. And appropriately enough, the book is called Love in Hard Places. And I think what Don is getting at here is absolutely true. I mean, one of the the challenging realities of the gospel, one of the, at times, the realities of the gospel that makes church feel like a failure is it brings different people together. And at times, then we rub each other the wrong way. We see certain things differently. So when we find ourselves in those moments, when the heat starts to kick in, when you start to say, you know what, this this isn't what I signed up for. When you find yourself in those moments where church can feel like a failure because we don't see eye to eye on certain things. Just keep this in mind. Sometimes what we view as failure is actually God bringing different people together. Sometimes what we view as failure is actually God bringing different people together. And that brings us to the one another statements that we're going to look at today. So now let's come to Romans chapter 14. First of all, Romans 14, 1. 
except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, in the book of Romans, the topic starts to change here in chapter 14, and we, we start to understand that there's some conflict in the church, disagreement in the church, the heat has turned on in the church, and, and people are going after it and disagreeing. And in the midst of that, Paul says, accept one another. And he deals with this topic in the next chapter and a half. In fact, we come back to this same uh, expectation in Romans fifteen seven. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, in looking at this idea of accepting one another, which is part of what it means to be for one another, notice in 14.1 this phrase, disputable matters. Paul says, look, I want you to accept one another and I don't want you to get caught, I don't want you to get stuck in certain areas where you're different. I don't want you to get caught constantly quarreling, arguing over what he describes as disputable matters. And here's what I think Paul is getting at. On the one hand, as as he writes in his letters, it's clear that there's certain things, certain doctrines, certain beliefs that are foundational to Christianity. And if you walk away from these beliefs, you've really compromised the gospel. So there are times in Paul's letters where he talks, you know, he he warns, for instance, against preaching or teaching another gospel, a false gospel. There are places where he's very firm about we've got to hold on to this truth. But likewise, Paul is aware that there are other areas, other issues, other topics where there's going to be room for disagreement. Perhaps places where the teachings of scriptures is is not as specific specific or directive. And we need to be as aware aware of that as well. And I think that's what he's getting at when he talks about disputable matters, areas where Christians will potentially disagree. Sometimes when theologians or scholars talk about these different categories, they'll use a, a chart something like this that there are different types of issues we talk about in life, different doctrines that we talk about in church. So on the one hand, there are those things that are really core and essential to who we are as believers in Christ, such as the Trinity, the person of Christ's salvation. And in a real sense, to walk away from those essential issues is to walk away from Christianity, right? I mean, if, I mean when, when you walk away from the biblical understanding of the person of Christ, it, it, the whole thing just begins to fall apart. So there's certain things that are essential. There are also things that that aren't necessarily essential to the gospel, but they're very important. And and often, you know, items that you would put in these categories are the things that make churches or groups of churches distinctive. So for instance, as a church, we we practice believers' baptism. That's an important part of That's how we do baptism here at church. We, other churches practice infant baptism, and we could have a conversation about the different positions on that. Now, in both of those environments, that's, 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 an, important, that's an important doctrine just in terms of how you do church. But the fact that we disagree doesn't imply that the gospel is being compromised. You're going, to find, you're going to find people that hold on to the truth of Christianity while holding perhaps different views on some of these important issues. 
And then there are sometimes what's referred to as matters of conscience. And these are things where even in the, within the life of a church like ours that has a statement of faith, and if you come to our membership class, you'll find out more about our statement of faith. But even within a group like this, there are going to be differences. And often these, these are the areas that cause a certain rub and tension and disagreement. And we can talk about end times. We can talk, you know, or things like alcohol or certain parenting issues. And, and these become areas where... There can be conflict or disagreement. There are areas where not necessarily the Bible gives us specific instruction. They're matters of conscience. And what Paul is getting at, I think, in talking about disputable matters, is that really once you get away from those doctrines, those truths that are foundational, in church you're going to find, you're going to find people that disagree on certain stuff. You're going to find people working out their, their understanding what it means to be a follower of Christ differently on certain issues than you do. And Paul just expects it. There's no expectation here of we're always going to see eye to eye on everything. And if, and if that's what you're looking for in church, I always want to be at a place where everybody sees everything the same way. I want to be in a group where we all see things the same way. I think Paul would look at you and say, well, I know what you're looking for, but whatever you're looking for, that's not church. Because church is a place that brings different people together. Now that raises this question. So how do we, how do we deal with this fact that we're going to find ourselves in conversations and relationships where particularly on maybe matters of conscience, we're, we're going to come out at different places. How do we do this well? What does it look like to accept one another? Well, to understand what Paul is doing here, let me just kind of highlight some of what's going on in this text. What is clear in this text is that there are two groups of people. Paul refers to these two groups as the strong and the weak. For instance, at the beginning of chapter 15, Paul says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. So there is tension at work in this church. There's, there are the people that Paul calls the strong and people that Paul calls the weak. And in here, arguably, some of the areas where the tension is playing itself out. Here's some issues in Romans 14. First, there's the issue of food. The strong feel like, you know what, you can eat all kinds of food. It just doesn't matter. The weak, really, eating only vegetables. They're not eating meat. The strong, you know what, holy days just aren't that important to them. The weak, they value some days more than others. And there seems to be a clue that the strong drink wine, whereas in certain situations, the weak abstain from wine. Now, as you look at these clues, most likely here's what's going on. Most likely, the weak are individuals who come from a Jewish background. These are Jews who've now converted to Christianity, whereas primarily the the people who are are described as the strong are people who have come from a Gentile background and basically converted to Christianity from paganism. And when Paul calls this this Jewish Christian view weak, it's not that they lack faith so much as they haven't come to see the implications of the gospel in a way that the strong have. So there's now this tension, right? I mean, there are these people that Paul describes as the weak. And, and particularly if you came from a Jewish background, you were concerned. I mean, all your life you had been raised to follow certain kosher food laws that we read in the Old Testament. And so when you went into the marketplace, 
you were concerned that, you know, this, none of this food was necessarily provi- prepared in a kosher way. Furthermore, when it came to meat, you could be particularly concerned that the meat in the marketplace had previously been used in some form of pagan sacrifice because that was, in so many ways, that was the supply chain in the ancient world in major cities, that, that there were meat offerings made in temples to pagan gods, and then the meat, the food, was taken to the marketplace and sold. And so you walk down the, you walk down the aisle in the marketplace and, and your conscience said, this is tainted, this isn't, I can't eat this. The strong had no problem with it. They came from a different background, had a different outlook. There was just, there was just no hesitation. The strong were the people who said, hey, New York Strip is on sale at Carnes. Our small group's having a party on Friday, right? You know, and, and so, so there's now tension between these two groups. They're people coming from very different backgrounds. They've been brought together by the good news of Christ. They share that in common. But on this secondary issue, there is now conflict and tension. And notice, notice how this unfolds. Just look at the beginning of chapter 14. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats anything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Now, this seems like a very minor thing, right? You know, who cares if you eat meat or don't eat meat? But this this has become a big deal for these Christians. And notice, Paul says, here's the result. They're They're the strong, right, who now look with contempt on the weak. They're the strong who now look at these other people and say, you narrow-minded, legalistic, backward-looking people. What is wrong? Why are you so uptight? I mean, there's a certain contempt. And on the other hand, they're the weak who look at the strong with, with, with a certain sense of judgment. Well, you know what? We're superior. We're the one with the heritage and the history. We're not compromising the faith the way you are. And what you see has resulted in this atmosphere is contempt and judgmentalism. And I think this this situation helps us understand there really is a difference between making judgments and being judgmental. Because on the one hand, everybody in this context has to make a judgment. I mean, when you're in this church, in some sense, you're making a judgment in terms of your diet and whether you'll eat meat or not eat meat. Everybody has to make a judgment. But being judgmental is something else. Being judgmental is when those attitudes of contempt and condescension, condescension and uh, you're right, just that negative sense of superiority kicks in. And that is exactly what has happened in this church. And I think when, when this happens, there are all th- kinds of things that are lost. We lose our love for each other. We lose our desire to help one another. I mean, when I look at you in a condescending way, it's hard for me to really be for you. In fact, sometimes when we develop this judgmental attitude, what we're really waiting for is we're waiting for this person to fail. See, we parent differently, but see, see, look, 
your way failed. See that? Yeah, no, I told you. I knew it, right? And see, when I, when I develop that sense of condescension, that sense of judgment, it's hard for me to be for you. It is hard for me to pray for you. That's why it's fascinating. I mean, in this passage, Paul clearly sets himself in the camp of the strong. He says that right at the beginning of chapter 15. But his goal is not, therefore, I'm going to beat these other people over the head with this view. It's no. We've got to accept one another. So very quickly, how do we do that? Let me just highlight a couple of action steps for you. First of all, I think you, you need to calibrate your conscience. Calibrate your conscience. Uh, here's what I mean by that. As you read this passage, one of, one of Paul's concerns seems to be he doesn't want the strong bullying the weak into doing something they don't want to do. Oh, come on, it's just a pork chop, for goodness sake. Pick up that knife and fork and just join us, right? You know, he doesn't want the strong to bully the weak. And I think what he's concerned about is he doesn't want them to do something against their conscience. Because Paul is aware, you know, that God has given us a conscience and he wants us to take that seriously. But here's the deal. Your conscience, it's not like a thermometer. It's like a thermostat. It has to be set. So Paul's recommendation through these issues is that I think they think carefully about this issue, right? Don't just be defensive. Don't just be argumentative, but think through this carefully. Look at verse five. One, consider, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. When you hit these moments or when you start to feel like, man, this person, we, man, we got into it a little bit in our group. And I think that becomes a moment just to kind of calibrate your conscience to say, okay, how, you know, just to think through, how am I thinking through this? To what extent does the Bible give me direction in this area? And am I at least working out the implications of, of what, the Bible teaches, even if there's room for disagreement. How's my, you know, what's, what's influencing my thinking and my approach? Just be willing to kind of think through that carefully. For instance, I will tell you, I grew up in, in, uh, Southern Baptist, in the Southern Baptist Church in Texas, and much of my experience growing up was in that denomination. And then I went to Trinity, which is the seminary of the, the free church, of which our church is a part. And all of a sudden, I, I started meeting people who came from different perspectives and different church backgrounds, and at times, just through some of these conversations, it caused me to kind of have to recalibrate some things, to think through some issues that I hadn't thought of before. You know, people that, they did church differently, and I just never thought of it that way. And so it kind of had, and at times I would go back and say, okay, I get why I'm taking the approach I'm taking. At other times, I might have to say, whoa, I need to be maybe thinking about this issue from a different perspective. For instance, I found myself in conversations where at times we talk about culture and politics, and people would highlight issues that had never been highlighted in my past. I mean, I, I kind of grew up in an environment when we talked about politics and culture, we didn't really talk that much about poverty. And I found myself in conversations with people for whom there was just a greater 
sensitivity, a greater attuneness to some of those issues. And even in the course of some of those conversations, it forced me to be more attuned to the fact that this is a bigger theme sometimes in Scripture than we imagine. So we, we need to, I think part of what Paul is saying here is, look, don't just kind of give people a knee-jerk reaction or don't just kind of walk away from a conversation going, those idiots... The, Allow these, these moments of difference to just kind of drive you back to where's my thinking come from? What is shaping it? And, and how does the scripture at least provide a framework for the decisions, the choices, the way I'm looking at certain issues? So calibrate your conscience. I think a, a second thing we learn from this passage is avoid being judgmental, right? Verse 10 of chapter 14 Paul says this, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. Once again, the same language we've read earlier, right? It's this judgmentalism that is overlaid with a sense of contempt and condescension. It's like, why do you, why do you allow these differences to become moments where now you're judge and jury, where you're playing the role of God? And we have to acknowledge, as I said, you know, in We've got to make judgments on these kinds of issues. The people in Rome had to make judgments about how they were going to deal with diet, but, but be careful about sliding into that contempt. Be careful about sliding into judgmentalism. And I, I think there, there are signs, there are warning signs when we do this. For instance, when you find yourself, you might call it gossip or just talking about another person or even another group of people. And it seems like you're always just being critical about this person are people who hold a certain view or those people, whatever those people are. I think that's a sign we're creeping into judgmentalism. Last year I was in a conversation with one of my sons and we were talking just about different generations and even different generations in the life of a church and how different generations kind of approach certain issues differently from politics to pop culture and that sort of thing. And even talking about the differences between my generation and his generation. And finally, at one point in the conversation, he looks at me, he goes, Dad, he goes, Dad, I hate it when people use millennials in a sentence. I said, why do you, you know, explain that to me. He said, I hate it when people use millennials in a sentence before because more often than not, it, it, it comes in a statement of criticism. And I said, oh, come on, you're exaggerating, blah, 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 you know. But after that conversation, I just started listening more. And it was like, oh my goodness, he's right. <laughs> a lot of people do do that. Millennials, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and you, know, you know, whatever the stereotype is. And then I discovered, and I do it too. Oh my goodness. And that's just, you know, the, just be aware. Just listen to how you talk about certain people or certain groups of people. And, and just the speech patterns will be an indication that maybe I've, I've kind of I've slid into being judgmental in an unhelpful and condescending way. Third, don't major on the minors. Don't major on the minors. I have a friend in Chicago who teaches at a university in Chicago, Scott McKnight. Scott's just released a really fascinating book entitled Reading Romans Backwards. And here's his argument. His argument goes something like this. Normally when, when we read Romans, we pay a lot more attention to the front end than the back end. 
And some of us, if we've been in church a while, we would say, you know, I, I even learned, I learned about the plan of salvation from, from the book of Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so we know these passages from the front end of Romans. But Scott's argument is we really pay a lot more attention to the front end of the book than the back end of the book. And so his argument is, what if we started by paying attention to the back end of the book? And really took seriously the fact that there was some, there was some conflict and tension going on in this church. And what he shows is when you start kind of from that <laughs> approach, then, it, then you start to actually notice that so much of the front end of the book is actually leading toward this issue. And how Paul wants to address the issue of coming together despite our differences. How he wants to address the issues of community and what it takes to build biblical community, even when we differ on certain things. See, this, this really was, this, I mean, this, it's a small group of people that are Christians in Rome at this point, but this had become a major source of division. And that's why I love the fact that in, kind of in the middle of chapter 14, we read this verse, look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God, a kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And it's like this guy steps into this hard moment where there's all this bickering and condescension and it's just dripping with judgment and sarcasm. And he says, okay, time out. Let's remember what we have in common. Let's remember what brings us together. It's not whether you eat meat or don't eat meat. It's not which stall you shop at in the marketplace. What brings us together is the work of Jesus Christ. And in that work, there's joy and peace. And in a real sense, I think there are times, sometimes in the midst of church stuff or maybe awkwardness in certain relationships or frustration with different groups of people that we just need to take a time out and say, okay, Let's remember what brings us together. Let's remember what brings us together. And finally, notice this. Paul says you need to exercise your convictions to build others up, not to tear them down. You need to exercise your convictions in a way that you build others up, not tear them down. Verse 19 of chapter 14. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else's stumble. And in essence, even as he calls them to take a time out, he says this. Don't hinder the work of God in another person's life just to win the debate. Don't hinder the work of God in another person's life just so you can win the argument. Instead, he says, I want you you to engage other people, particularly on these kinds of issues, in such a way that you are seeking to build them up, seeking to further God's work in their lives. And all this leads, therefore, to his final charge to accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God.
So that just leads me to this final question. Is there, is there a relationship in your life right now? <laughs> or is there kind of a group of people or a certain type of person where you just need to say right now, I, Father, I, I just need to accept this person. I need to accept this group. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment, and as you do that, just to be open to, you know, maybe there is some place, maybe there is a situation or circumstance in my life right now where I have to take this to heart. There's this person or there's this, this, there's this issue that really bothers me. And anytime someone holds a different position on this issue or approaches this issue differently, I get so upset. And maybe you, you just need to be reminded this morning that Paul says, you know, on certain things, we just, we just need to accept one another. And so if that's the case, I just, just as we close right now, I just challenge you just to wrestle with, okay, God, what does it look like for me to be for this person? God, what does it look like for me to be for these people that tend to look at this issue differently than I do? Just be open to that right now. So, Father, as I said a few moments ago, Jesus has this amazing vision about community and bringing people together. But as he brings people together, we've got to recognize that he's bringing different people together. And at times, there's certain things we don't see eye to eye on, certain things we differ on. And, Father, these can become relationships or issues that can create so much tension, division, even attitudes of superiority, judgment, and contempt. So I pray there's a particular area, a particular relationship right now where we need to embrace this truth. We need to wrestle with what it looks like to truly be for one another. I pray your spirit would just do his work in our hearts and minds. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.